Welcome to episode 61 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a rating. It really helps out the podcast. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest is actor, playwright, puppeteer, and magician Eric Wolf. Eric is also the artistic director of Eldritch Theatre, a Toronto theatre company specializing in horror plays using puppetry, live actors, and parlor magic. Adriana introduced me to what you do with yep. Eldritch Theater, Eric, uh, with, she said the words, it's magic puppet horror theater. Yeah. And I immediately <laughs> thought that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. But one of the things I, I've kind of been wondering is, for you, which came first, the magic puppet or horror Okay, well, this is a good story. It's also a long one, but it's a good story. So I've been an actor since I was 10 years old, and I'm rapidly approaching 46. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, like I started professionally when I was 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my 20s, uh, living in Toronto, um, there was a friend of mine that I'd grown up with who was moving to the city, and he was a musician. And I thought, well, I, I... knew that unless we had a project that we were working on together, I'd never see him because he's a wonderful guy, but he's socially um, myopic. <laughs> so I said, look, why don't we do this thing? And I, 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 I had always loved, I mean, it's funny now because it sounds so square, but I'd always really loved the idea of Billy Bishop Goes to War. You had an actor, you had a guy who was really good at music, they were friends, they hung out together, and it was this. So I said, here, we'll do something like Billy Bishop, where you play, you'll be on stage, and you'll do, you'll, you'll write music for it, and I'll play ukulele and sing. Um, and I'd been a horror fan since I was a little kid, so I said, we'll make it a horror play, and you and I grew up together, so it'll be a horror play about puberty, and um, uh, I'll play all the characters. However... I, at that time, was quite close to Rod Beatty, who does all the Wingfield mm-hmm. plays. For the people who don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't, but it's a play about a Bay Street, series of plays about a Bay Street executive who uh, 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 sells his firm to become a farmer, and Rod, uh, who's been doing these plays for years, plays all the characters. Right. But he's so good at it, when you think back and remember them, you actually remember all these other people on stage. Yeah. I saw one night, this was, and this was just before this happened, I saw, went to see one of them, and Rod was really sick. So the protagonist character, Walt Wingfield, had a cold and kept having to drink mm-hmm. water and blow his nose. And Rod playing Wingfield looked like, really looked like he was going to die. But none of the other characters even had a sniffle. It was terrifying. (laughs) It was absolutely terrifying. So as long as Rod was doing these plays, I thought there is no way I can, I'm doing a one person show where I step in and out of other characters. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't do it like that, it's like writing symphonies in the time of Mozart. You just shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I thought puppets were cool and creepy so without knowing anything about it really I said well and we'll just make puppets so I gathered up a bunch of garbage and paper mache and made all the other characters out of puppets mm. and then we did this thing called the Strangeary Memoirs of Billy Weathergloom for Summer Works and then remounted it and it was a big hit mm-hmm. and a big critical success and so all of a sudden overnight after having been an actor for whatever it was at the time 20 some odd years I became that horror puppet guy. (laughs) Um, That was neat. Let's do it again. So for a number of years, the shows would get bigger. There'd be more more people and more puppets, and my skills at building the puppets became more ornate and more skilled. And so the shows kind of got bigger and bigger to a point up to about 10 years ago when I sort of got the sense that... um, the the independent theater uh, 
ecology was about to contract. Mm. Things shows weren't going to be able to keep getting bigger and bigger because the money, the money was about to become suddenly finite. Yeah. Uh, so I remember I, my second son had just been born, and I remember like sitting. I remember the exact chair I was sitting in when I had the idea, and I'd always kind of been interested in magic as an art mm. without really knowing anything about it and it occurred to me that uh quite naively that you could use magic in the support of a narrative in the same way that you use songs in a musical mm. so it could it could uh you, you advance the plot or provide a metaphor for something or illuminate an idea of a character uh, and what tickled me about the idea is that you could do magic on a little tablecloth or you can do magic that fills a whole amphitheater. And whether you're making an elephant disappear or making a coin disappear, it's essentially thematically the same idea. Um, and the other thing that excited me about it is that no one really had tried this before. Now, what I didn't realize was that it was a little bit like being 40 years old and saying you're going to become a prima ballerina. <laughs> um, so there was a, a learning curve that's been the last 10 years of kind of the theater company's existence and my, my downtime has been uh, spent how, making coins disappear uh, and learning how to levitate a potato and do all that to make it happen. How did it take you to feel like you were confident enough to do some of those like on a stage in front of people? Well, uh, hmm, um, still not always, yeah, uh, well, it's been 10 years, and this last show was sort of the first one where the magic didn't become a really daunting, hmm. where the magic had become kind of an organic part of the process and not, uh, n not a, 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 terrifying one mm. i mean there was about so i had the idea in 2006 and uh the magic didn't really get rolled out till 2009 2010 mm. uh and the first show we did it in i mean we we kind of we started sort of dropping it in like well let's there's this let's do this one victorian illusion and this is going to be the the finale is going to be we're going to bring a puppet to life with pepper's ghost mm. Uh, and that would be the so that would be the one thing, the one right. set piece. Um, but the so the Doc Weathergloom's Haunted Medicine show was the first solo show mm. that we did, and the first time it was okay. This is let's do wall to wall puppets and magic and mm. see how it works. Uh, and it was it had way too much magic. It's now it, it, look back at it. I mean, it's all I'm very proud of it, and I love I love it when we get a chance to do it again. It's been it's been one of our most successful shows, but but it takes an hour to load all that crap in my pockets mm. and set all the little things because when you're starting out, I think in any art, when you're starting out, you want to show how good you are at it and how hard you've worked. Of course, yeah. So if you can, let's, if we can shove this little thing in here, let's shove this little thing in here so it becomes, there's just, there's so much because you want to, you want to prove yourself. Right. And then... Uh, so the last two shows, it's been a little bit more relaxed and now I kind of feel like, okay, I've got nothing to prove. Now we can just make it good. Mm. Now let's make it easier instead of making it harder. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's sort of an interesting metaphor for a life in the art sometimes, especially if you're a creator. Yeah, well, that's kind of, I guess that's the, like, I remember when I was a young actor, everybody saying, you know, there are no good actors under the age of 36. And I, I took great offense to that when I was 20. Yeah. But, then when I was 36, I went, oh, that's, oh, oh, because I'm not, I'm not on stage trying to show yeah. everyone my homework anymore. Yeah. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm just doing my job. Yeah. And I'm not, I, I'm not making sure everyone can see me sweat. So yeah. they take me seriously. And I think that's the difference between being, being, uh, you know, a, a starting artist and a established yeah. one in any in any field. Then on the other side, there's also the go big or go home. Like if you're starting out at a thing, you want to make a splash. Because I know I worked with a company yeah. called Keystone Theater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we did silent film on stage. Oh, so our right. first show was like this massive yeah. epic called The Bell of Winnipeg, and it took us like I mean, once we started, it took four years to get from like create how do you do silent film on yeah. stage to this show, and then. 
you know, sets and costumes yeah. and video elements, and it was like massive. And after we did that, we were like, well, we can never do this again. Yeah. I mean, we thought yeah. so, but then it was like, well, it cost way too much to do this again. Yeah. So, you know, the next thing that we did was like, how do we create a thing that can tour, like the smallest yeah. possible thing? Yeah. So it's like, make your splash is the other side. And like, well, you, one can make a splash. I'm, I'm not talking about, I mean, the, I think this is sort of two different conversations, mm. right? Because uh, I, I firmly believe that at least for the next 15 years, the secret to having a successful career in theater is finding the smallest way mm. to do something. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm now, in the last few years, I've been much more interested in what can we do that 20 people can see right. and turn a profit at and make it really good and really spectacular than how can we make a show that a thousand people will see and fill this? Because then you're, then you're running after your your efforts are going to something that isn't as rewarding. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's harder because mm-hmm. I don't think the audiences have actually shrunk. I really don't. But I think they're not. The people who go to theater aren't the people who used to go to theater. And the people who do go to theater aren't going to the same kinds of theater. It's a no. much every, everybody's going to their own little niche. Yeah. Uh, so I think like doing something Big versus doing something small is different than than show everybody how hard you're working right, okay. yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. just do the work. Mm-hmm. Do the yeah. work and don't because if you're if you're just if you're trying to drum up a sweat, you're not mm-hmm. you're spending energy drumming up the sweat. You're not spending effort moving the piano. If you can move the piano without sweating, that's all the better. Right. Um, the the show that you did this this past fall. Yeah. Um, the harrowing of Brimstone McCready. Which uh, All my titles are too long. Well, it's terrible. Know, the thing is, the thing is, like, it does it does it? I, I don't know. I think the title says something about this show. I don't think. It's yeah. like I don't think. <laughs> I think you could. I I, may, I tend to write titles that are far too short. Right. The something. The, like, that's my title. It's like yeah. the something. And I often think you could probably be a little more creative with your with your with your titles. I don't think there's a there's anything about the wrong with a long title. It says something about the show. Yeah. Um. It's the is it the third show that you've done in this sort of like solo style? Oh no, probably not. Uh, it is. Let's see. It is. It was Eldritch Theaters' twelfth okay. original play, mm-hmm. and our twenty third production. As far as solo shows, it's. I mean, we've never been able to afford. I mean, the most people we've ever put on any stage is four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so usually it's, you know, two is the, two is, uh, actually that's not true. Side True the Damned had five, but that was back in the day when you could afford five yeah. and then nobody got paid anyway. Uh, uh, the, sort of the recent, the, 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 the puppets magic all Eric all the time. Uh, there have been like three of those, mm-hmm. which is just what you said, isn't yeah. it? And I was like, no, no, no. And then I count them and it's three. Is you don't want each year in the past few years? Well, we try to hit every Halloween. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work out with grants and with, mm. uh, but we try to have, we, so, so th- there have been remounts, but we try to do, we try to do, we, tr- we, we try to have a new show every Halloween and it kind of works out to a new show every other year. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, yeah. It, I mean the audience, the show that I was at for Brimstone McCready, there were definitely people there who 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 had come to see you. Oh no, like, we've like the same. We've got like a really. I mean, we've been around since our first show was two thousand mm-hmm. nineteen ninety nine. So we've been around, uh, and we have a really like we've got a loyal audience. We've got people who drive in from North Bay. Mm. We've got. Uh, and a lot of them don't go to other theater. A lot of them are under 40. Mm. Most of them are under 40. Um, a lot of them aren't. They're like all walks of life. Yeah. Uh, and they come, uh, and some of them come see the same shows like over and over and over. Mm. Like there are people who've seen Doc Weathergloom five times. We've oh. done it six. They've seen it five. Oh. Uh, um you know, and those aren't those are real people. Those aren't my goonie friends yeah. who are there because they're on comms, um, which is really neat, right? Like you don't want to. I mean, I, I sometimes I wish that that we had 
you know, we had our audience numbers were, why don't we sell out every time we do, you know, but we do, uh, why are we in this tiny theater that only seats 50? But on the other hand, like we've got, if I don't do it, if I, if we happen to miss a Halloween, I get 20 angry emails from, you know, I'm a mortician and I always bring my family and there's, what are we going to do this Halloween if there's no creepy puppet thing? There's something, something really kind of amazing of like, that people are angry if you don't do a thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. People who miss it when it's not yeah. there, which is amazing. Yeah. I'm always floored when I do something and there's somebody I don't like somebody I don't know tells me, Oh, I bought tickets to that and I'm like Yeah, I know. I'm always yeah. surprised too. I'm always surprised too. The fact that anyone even remotely cares. Because yeah. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um the fact that people care really, you know, really uh um shocks and moves me, I'm always surprised. What's kind of interesting for me, or what's interesting, I mean, there's been a lot of hand-wringing in indie theater for several years about where's the audience going and that sort of thing. And I remember... Well, I can... I mean, that's... A, yeah, go ahead. Go I mean, just, there's a, just a couple of years ago, uh, there was a big uh, power, and I think I mentioned it before on the podcast about, you know, I think there are two I put together this yeah. thing and it ended up being at Theater Pass Rye. Yeah. It's supposed to be this conversation, where's the audience going? Yeah. And it ended up just being a bitch session rather than offering Well, of course, solutions. right? Um... But I mean, it, it, it is that thing is like, how do you get the audiences out? And one of the things that, that I keep hearing is offer them something they can't get yeah. on Netflix. And well, or offer them something they can't get. I mean, a lot, yeah. I know every, oh, no one's coming to see indie theater. No one's coming. Well, of course, no one's coming to see indie theater because you're doing, you're, you're, you're remounting a David Mamet play that yeah. was old 30 years. Like who wants yeah. to see yeah. Yet another production of American Buffalo. Like, yeah. why, like yeah. if you're going to be, uh, uh, and, and I don't. It's not just the indies. It's sort of across mm-hmm. the boards, yeah. right? Like, if if I'm if I'm say a couple in my 30s working a nine to five job, and I want to do something on a Friday night, I'm not going to say, let's pick, hey, let's go see this thing that we studied in high school. Yeah. Remember, yeah. I got yeah, a, yeah. I got a B minus on that essay. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So, so stop it. It doesn't, that, like, just yeah. don't stop it. I've seen, I, I, I've seen Glass Menagerie. I've been in Glass yeah. Menagerie. It's a really good play. Stop it. Do something new. <laughs> Do something new. Do we something. Can't, we can't. We can't tie our horses to the same old shows and expect people to come and see them again and again. No matter how good yeah. it is, right? No matter yeah. how good it is, or how rewarding it is to act in, or how. Mm-hmm. And the same. I mean, I, I have a real. Uh, uh, um, using theater to make a political point mm-hmm. is another. Another thing. I. I mean. I. I I suppose you can use a cannon to swat that fly, but there are better uses for the cannon, and there are easier ways to to kill the fly. I mean, if you because then you're doing like don't do theater, don't try to sell people theater because it's good for them. Mm-hmm. Like I like it, I I have been to some restaurants that serve a wonderful broccoli dish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't tell me this broccoli. You have to eat this broccoli because it's going to be good for you. It's there may be broccoli on the plate, but they're not advertising it as broccoli. No, no. And I think there's a tendency to do that as as theater artists. Uh, I often get tired of being told that the theater that I'm again, it's like yeah. this is good for you, or this is super important. You have to see this, like. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily want to see theater that's important with a capital I. I kind of want to be entertained first. And no, well, if you can't, I remember this is sort of the one thing I learned at theater school. The one thing that kind of stuck with me that was worth my my two years before I quit was that uh, I had a um, a teacher say, "Well, look, entertaining someone for two minutes is really hard. Hmm. If you if you can entertain, if you can keep someone interested for two minutes, then." It doesn't matter what you say. If you can't, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you have to you have to engage people before you mm-hmm. before you preach to them. And if you have them engaged, if you've actually engaged them, then then you are speaking to them on a level that is more complex and has greater resonance than than selling them a political message that they already agree with anyway or they wouldn't have bought the ticket. Mm. 
Yeah. Right? Like who? Yeah. You know, there was a reason that Shaw was had to spend so much time writing essays about why he was better than Shakespeare. It was because he actually wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason the reason he wasn't is because because of the untidiness that he was always criticizing Shakespeare for because of that that irrational emotional I mean that's what I mean it's a tired cliche but you know I remember reading somewhere that art supplies for society what dreams supply for the individual and you you don't you know you you nobody ever woke up from a dream about flying because you're trying to escape from a giant monster made of toilet paper and then converted to social Marxism mm. as a result. Like, it's not how we work. Right. Uh, so, you know, so stop it! <laughs> or know that know that the real meat of what you're doing is actually something else. Mm-hmm. Well, you right? mentioned theater school. Uh, can I ask what theater school you went to and then dropped out of? Yeah. You can say that. You can ask. I don't know. I I like to pretend I didn't go to school. <laughs> uh, uh, I, and I did. I did. And and I I I. Uh, but I I like to uh, I like to pretend I didn't go. Is it because you you felt like you didn't get enough out of the the school? Well, I mean, because like I was, you know, I, I like I, I I grew up backstage, right? right. Like I, you know, I, I worked so much by the time I had started theater school. <laughs> Uh, it was a very, it was in some ways useful to have a place where I could hone my skills without having to chase down a next job. Right. Uh, it probably in my late teens and early twenties protected me from, uh, I don't know. I just, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is that the theater school is different for, for each individual. Yeah. And... Um, I know people who've had amazing experiences, people who've had horrible experiences. My own was somewhere in between. Yeah. And you get out of, and I actually figured that I didn't actually realize everything that I'd learned until about 20 minutes, 20 years after I'd left. Yeah. So it was like, oh, that's why we did this thing, sort of. Yeah, no, fair enough. But. Where did you go? I went to George Brown. Yeah, well, yeah. See, George Brown was the the place I went wasn't was mm-hmm. in its sort of its dying days of usefulness oh. when I was there. Um, I had a decent class. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it was two years I could have. Mm-hmm. It 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 put me in a it put me in a fortuitous place mm-hmm. uh, in terms of timing and <laughs> when I could be released into the stream <laughs> that led to some jobs that I'm glad I did. Mm. You, you, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've been, you've been doing theater since you were 10 years old. Yep. So what, what was it? Were you somebody who, like, did you want to be in theater when you were a kid or did your family say, we're going? No, no. Well, when I was five, okay. Uh, when I was, just before my fifth birthday, uh, my parents had a family called the Titcombs over, and Gary Titcomb was loudly singing when I was trying to sleep. And I was went downstairs and I yelled at everybody for loudly singing. And when my mom came to tuck me back in and apologize, she said, I'm sorry. Gary Titcomb was singing the words to Oliver, and I said, what's Oliver? And she said, it's a play, it's going on in the park, why don't we take you to see it for your birthday? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we went to see this thing that had kids singing in it, and and this guy threw this prostitute off a bridge and she died and it was fantastic and i remember turning to my mother and saying that's what i want to do when i grow up and i, I hope you know and she looked at me with horror either because i was saying she was worried i was saying i want to throw a prostitute off a bridge or <laughs> i want to be an actor either either mm. either idea terrified her and then sort of that kind of became my driving passion mm. So I, I had them enroll me in classes, and I auditioned for, you know, a couple of different productions of A Christmas Carol, and ended up, it was in London, Ontario, so I ended up working at the Grand Theatre with some great people. And then uh, when I was 15, I, I um, landed the part of Eugene in a, in a production of Brighton Beach Memoirs at the Grand Theatre that Martha Henry directed, and then... Then we ended up doing all three, and I became the only actor in the world who'd done all three parts at all the right ages at the same theater, which, which 
was I thought was cool. Apparently, Neil Simon thought was cool. Someone told him about it. <laughs> Tony Randall told him about it. You know, so that that so so I had this kind of really neat career in my teens doing mm-hmm. doing theater kind of all across the country, and then. And it's something that you you kept doing because you know I remember some of the things that I wanted to do when I was like five and started to do I'm not doing anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. So you really it stuck with it. It was like a thing that, that became a real passion for you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I've never often. I think I wish I could go back in time and develop another skill or interest. <laughs> um, but I don't. You know, I don't know what that would be. If I did, I would go do it. I mean, I, I, that's. I mean, <laughs> that is the thing is that everybody always says, you know, if you can do anything else, do it. In yeah. Business, you know, if there's something else that can make you happy, you should probably do that. Yeah. Um, because that maybe, because this this business is only for people who really just can't really do anything else. Because that's they couldn't be happy doing anything else. It's too. I don't know. I don't even know. I'm terribly happy doing it. Mm-hmm. To tell you to tell you the truth, most of the time. But I don't know what I, like what I've kind of burned all my other bridges. Right? It's not like mm. it, it's. I'm you know. I'm almost forty six. It's not like it's too late for me to be a dentist. Well, maybe a dentist. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean. You could be an elderly dentist one day with your hands. Shaking. I could be, yeah. Well, you know, that's that's about it, right? You terrify children when they come in, and you're like, "All right, open wide, yeah. your hands shaking." Um, yeah. In terms of the uh, this this you know Eldridge Theater and, and the shows that you create, does it take about two years to to create a show from like idea to to like it to depends. Have a script or do you uh, when, when uh, it it there are a lot of things in play. I mean, sometimes actually, I was thinking about this on the way over. Uh, Sometimes it's like 10, 11 ideas, 11 years mm. kind of teasing at an idea before it pays off. And sometimes it's like, I know, let's write a play about a flea circus. And then <laughs> three months later, there's a play about a flea circus. So uh, it, it sort of depends. It depends on, I don't know. It's, it, it, um, do you have like a, a file of all the ideas that you have? Like a, a I used to, like, but I'm I have kids and I'm lazy and I can't. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Like we're working at this thing that we're about to do a little workshop on. It's this this play called Space Opera Zero. That's a. Uh, uh, it's based on Middleton's The Changeling, uh, and it's it was written for um, Kim Won Perhenik and Rebecca Northen. And uh, Melanie McNeil, a resident designer, and I wanted to do something that was like a 1930s pulp, weird tales, Mm -hmm. space adventure. And all those different ideas come back from all different places. And I never thought they were all the same play. (laughs) And it really only occurred to me yesterday how many different paths have kind of led to this one script. Mm. If you asked me this a week ago, I would have said, oh yeah, I just sat down and wrote that script. And it's like, oh no, but wait a minute. We talked about doing a space thing right after Sideshow of the Damned. That's, mm. So that's like 17 years mm. that that one's been mm. percolating away. Do you, I mean, you, you, you have this, not really a deadline, but you're expecting to do something each Halloween. Well, we try to hit, we, that kind of, like we did how like we did how like how i mean the, the you know when you're in it like the big indie question is yes. like well it used to be well, where the hell are we going to find a space it takes three years to get a space and now it's it's like you call one of the storefronts and if they yeah. don't happen to close yeah. <laughs> you're like, there's only um, a couple standing well yay red sandcastle yeah um, um uh, what was the question? Oh, just about like what you have like. Oh yeah. So what happened was we did like two Halloweens in a row, and then now Ma- magazine was like, it wouldn't be Halloween oh, without course. an Eldridge yes. Theater show. And we're like, yes. yeah, right. <laughs> and now- I don't even think it was two in a row. I think it was like we did the Babysitter in 2006. We did the Babysitter for Halloween, and mm-hmm. then four years later we did another show on Halloween, and then. Oh well, it's a tradition. Oh well, if well, it's an annual tradition and people, okay, then it's a tradition. Yeah, let's do it. Call it a tradition. It's yep. like you know, do it. I mean, Soul Pepper is like every Christmas doing the same same two guys doing uh, doing lead roles in a Christmas. Yeah, so you might as well. I mean, yeah. Well, that's it. So Eldritch Theater somehow, and now everybody says we're a Halloween tradition. Now it's like because yes, yeah. we went because now wrote this thing and we said okay, let's run with that, mm-hmm. and now 
Okay, it's Halloween. We got to do something. Is that is that something like? Do you when you leave Red Sandcastle from like this Halloween? Do you say okay, so you've got us penciled in for next Halloween, and just know that you've got to do something, or do you? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I read I read in the paper the other day that the Red Sandcastle is chiefly known for Eldritch Theater's <laughs> horror puppet magic shows. I read that. I just read someone posted that. I'm like, all right, that's what it's. Woo-hoo! Well, <laughs> sixty-five other shows in there yeah. during the year, but it's known for. Uh, um, yeah, no, I don't. I I usually call Rosemary in, I guess February. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. Pencil us in, but it's great, right? Like it used to be, before those places opened up. You know, you're trying to find, you want to be in a theater that's under 100 seats because otherwise equity's up your butt for having, so all the salaries have to go up. And, but like, who, come on, who really has, who really has more than 50 people in the audience ever anyway, if not fewer? So, um, the last time we did a show that wasn't at, at a, you know, a pop up venue, it was, one third of the budget just went mm. to the rent. Yeah. So well, that, I mean, before this, the the storefronts and similar spaces opened, it's like the spaces were so expensive. Like yeah. You to- well, that's just it, right? So there was that thing, that big power of what are we going to do? Independent yeah. theaters dying. Where did the audience come from? It has never actually been easier mm-hmm. to put on a show. No. Because the rent is really cheap you can run the box office for free you never used to be able to do that you used to have to print posters that people just tore down anyway you now you don't you can market on social media for a fraction of what it cost in the olden days to print up 200 postcards that people just threw out or your actors were too lazy to hand out it's so easy now yeah i don't know what everybody's whining about except that there's so much of it there's a lot of it and that might be i mean there's I, I sort of I, I go there's this fringe mentality the fringe festival mentality that, yeah. that sort of picked up when I was doing a show in Montreal and uh, Cameron Moore at this uh, you know his fringe his Montreal fringe here's like it's like fringe promotion 101 yeah. it's a great little thing that she does and one of the things she says there's audience enough for everyone <clears throat> yeah and I still believe that but I also believe that we we have a tendency in indie theater to, to hold on to our audience this is my audience and I'm keeping it here very safe and you can't have it you can't look at it and if we could sort of like pull those together like because your audience is my audience is their audience well yeah audience, sure there are people who want to see theater sure but honestly I don't know my audience mm-hmm. is I mean I think there's a there's a we've got a nice little Venn diagram mm-hmm. but actually a chunk I'm Reasonably positive, like a significant chunk of my audience mm-hmm. doesn't care about that production of American Buffalo. Mm-hmm. That they just saw this ad right. ten years ago for this horror puppet thing, and they went, "There's such a thing of a horror puppet thing. Let's yeah. go to that." Oh my mm-hmm. God, he made a potato float right in front of my face. Mm-hmm. Let's go see that again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they're the people mm-hmm. who like. I mean, some of them are, right? Yeah, like some yeah, of them, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, hey, hey, Barbara Finger wrote Asher. It's always yeah. so great to see you. But um, I don't, I, like, the guy with the tattooed neck yeah. who comes in and, like, where's Doc Weathergloom? Is yeah. he in this show? Yeah. Like, I don't think, I no. love that guy. I yeah. love him. I don't think he cares about your production of Glass Menagerie. No, Maybe he, he does. Doesn't. He probably doesn't. Maybe he does, but that's... Well, maybe he's hungry for something that's not those classics. Like, maybe he's... Yeah. Maybe he's a theater brouhaha type person. He doesn't know it yet because he doesn't know who the fuck they are. Yeah, well, fair enough. You know? Fair enough. So, if you want us to put your flyer on your seat, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not a... As you say, it isn't keeping my audience from noticing your show doesn't actually help anybody. No, it helps helps nobody. Um, But I don't... I, I don't... I, I think that it's like uh, the, it's so easy in this day and age no matter what kind of entertainment you're interested in to find exactly what you want to see mm-hmm. when you want to see it yeah. that that you, you can't I think you can no longer program uh, 
oh, this is this is we've got everybody's going to want to come see this because the quality is so good. The quality yeah. it, people don't just come to see something that's good anymore. No. Like no. if you can you you can you can watch any movie that's ever been made ever. Yeah. On your phone without leaving your bed. Yeah. So if you want someone to get out of their bed to come see your thing, it's not just enough that it has to be good. Yeah, it has to be good and it has to be something that they didn't think to Google. Yeah. Something that they, 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 they didn't expect. A lot of times. Yeah. There's an unexpected quality. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Brimstone McCready, there was a lot to that that, that I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't know how that comes together, but it was, you know, really uh, like it was a night of something that I couldn't get anywhere else. Well, you know, okay. What what uh, what what parts of it were? I think. Tell me more. Tell so, me more yes. about my great work. So for for me, it was <laughs> yeah. a so it was one guy, but it's a cast of uh, it's a large cast. Yeah. So you know the puppets puppets are, are one thing. Yeah. Um, the, the it's the combination for me of uh, there's a, a mood that happened yeah. in the room. Yeah. Uh, uh, when the curtain that curtain by the door closed and yeah. the show starts there. Yeah. And then. You've got the magic, and it's up close magic. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even if you're not one of the people who's sitting, yeah, right by beside, the thing, yeah, it's still because you've got the camera, so you can sort yeah. of see like the the card tricks and things like that in a way that you probably couldn't. Yeah. Also, there was the uh, uh, some of the the stuff that you did with with the camera and like telling yeah. a story with right. with like pictures and some moving stuff that way. Yeah. It's just like the the experience of all of that together and live yeah. in a room, which has a dyna- a, a dynamism. That you know doesn't really happen because I'm passive yeah. when I'm watching a film. Yeah. When I'm in the room with somebody, I'm more active. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, the thing too, I mean, about that show is that we don't that feeling and those things you described don't happen with every show mm. either, right? Mm. So even even the people who see everything four or five times. Right. Um, don't necessarily know what to expect. They know they're going to get puppets. They know it's going to be spooky. They know it's going to be funny. Mm-hmm. They don't know what combination it's going to be in. Right. You know, we sometimes the puppets are 15 feet tall. Sometimes they're tiny little things that mm-hmm. sit on a tabletop. Sometimes it takes. Sometimes we take up the whole room. Sometimes it's it all happens around a little table. Mm-hmm. Sometimes both those things happen in one show. Right. So we we try to keep those even the familiar elements as varied as mm. we possibly can uh i think a lot of the a lot of the the kind of theater community too uh cuz we don't most independent theater is only seen by theater people mm. right yeah, yeah, yeah. and that no. and and art and and uh Dylan Trowbridge, who directed the harrowing of Brimstone McCready, he's never seen any of our shows, and this was the first show of ours he had directed. And after the opening, it might have been a few days into the run, he looked at me and he said, I've never seen such a crowded theater with no other theater people in it. And I was like, yeah, I told you. I mean, that's, that's, that is definitely <laughs> a, a unique thing in indie theater. I mean, I used to work yeah. in a couple of the, the, the big houses, you know, the yeah. Irish houses in Usher. You know, you mostly don't see theater people. No, you don't, so, but that's a different, I mean, because what theater animal. people can't afford $300 yeah. a seat. Well, and then, for indie theater, you are right, yeah. you know, it has a tendency to be like other theater people going, yeah. to, see st- going to see shows. It was very, very unique to find an audience of, of primarily non-theater yeah. people. Well, and I, and I think part of that is because we sort of get dismissed as, oh, yeah, I heard those shows are great. They're the kind of that campy horror yeah. puppet thing. And there's like, oh, it's it's probably like the, you know, that I guess it's kind of like the Evil Dead show. Or, you know, like people sort of... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't. It's a mystery of need. I don't know why we get. Time, I think a lot of times people like like to identify a thing and think, well, like, you know, puppets, a horror. It's not yeah. art. Whatever it is that, that people are yeah. thinking to themselves, yeah, um, they're missing out. Yeah, uh, but um, it is one of those those indie things. I mean, that is like who goes to see the indie theater? People who are in indie theater. Yeah, people who are reviewers. People who are on the boards and people yeah. who are uh, maybe some of the public. Depending on the yeah, 
Yeah, it's funny. But then, I mean, there's other shows that, that start ending. Uh, Shots Gallery, for example, yep. from Storefront, which then went on to Soul Pepper and did so well. They, I mean, they only scheduled it for two weeks and they held it over for another, which was a ton of a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, but yeah, that's a weird on. that's a weird new Canadian problem too. That's kind of developed since mm. I don't know Drowsy Chaperone. Suddenly, those this, the fringe became. The Fringe Festival the fringe became, became like a, a theater for like the big theaters. Well, yeah, when theaters used to theaters used to commission and develop work, and now they look for it. <laughs> and now, like, oh, well, let's go see. I hear yeah, this yeah, thing at the yeah. storefront is actually good. Let's see it and yeah. kick it upstairs. Like, I kind of feel like that's a relatively uniquely Toronto thing. Um, in terms of, uh, there's a lot of because Toronto yeah. is, is pretty uniquely focused on itself where Fringe is concerned. And yes, that's true. Well, Toronto's to uniquely focused on itself as far as theater's concerned. This and is true. Has always been that way. This is true. I do find the Fringe has that tendency of being like, um, oh, well, we, what we're looking for is the next Drowsy Chef or the next Kim's Convenience, yeah. the next uh, uh, The Kink in Her Hair. Yeah. And it's a lot of the other Fringe festivals, like if I go to Winnipeg or I go to Edmonton, yeah. they're just looking for the next interesting thing they can see rather than like, yeah. the next thing that can be like... Translated yeah. into something that becomes a TV show. Yeah, well, and 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 a, and an hour long, an hour long thing you can you can pay for out of your pocket change in the lint in the bottom of your yeah. couch should be different than this goes. Let's this is this is this is our our big main stage. Yeah, yeah. the two things shouldn't feed into each other mm-hmm. because what happens then is both audiences. Both audiences get shortchanged, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because you're always the 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 people who want to see the people who want to pay two hundred dollars for a, a ticket mm-hmm. don't get to see anything. Don't get to see the kind of spectacle, the homegrown spectacle that they would get to see, yeah. unless you know, you know, unless it's a it's a something that's toured in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and the, the the people who want to see something that's an hour long and kind of dingy don't get they don't get that don't get yeah. that uh, you know yeah. I mean that said Kim's convenience sure is a good play and <laughs> yeah I mean yes it was you know um, but that's always I've always found that a little bit. A, a puzzling. I, I found that a puzzling trend. It, it is a puzzling thing. I know there's there's some people who who do the Western fringes who won't come to Toronto because they're told that people have told them they're just not interested yeah. in what you're going to be doing. Well, I, Toronto Now magazine once referred to me as the as as fringe staple Eric Wolf. And look, I've never done the fringe. I acted once in a fringe production okay. in 1990, okay. <laughs> and that was. But apparently, according to Toronto magazine, I'm a fringe staple, were, which tells you something about. Yeah. You were you did do a summer work? I did. We did. We did. I've done summer works twice. Okay. When Aldrich Theater was first getting started, uh-huh. and we've done the Fringe once, uh, and the rest of the time we've we've produced it outside of festivals. And yeah. Well, you can't always trust what the media is going to say. No, but I just find that an interesting. It's interesting I mean, it tells you. It it, it I I found it a, a, an interesting symptom of a larger. Outlook on how mm. theater actually works mm. is that well we don't do our stuff actually is even our small stuff is too big for a fringe thing because you have to make the thing yeah. for the potato to levitate yeah and I can't strike that in half an hour no so we, we don't we don't do that also I like to pay my team as well as I possibly can and I don't they work. They're all too good, and they work too hard to make twelve dollars. No, yeah, right. So we we don't you you just you just think it's weird. So you're saying it's a, it's a fringe, fringe yeah. thing, yeah. but it's not. They're actually it's a different. Yeah. It's it's weird, but it's it's a not. It, yeah, it's not. It's not. Fringe. It's not part no. of that. You because yeah no because you could never like get that out of a space in an hour. Um, no, in, in, I mean you talk you talk about the you know having the you know you know wanting to pay. I think a lot of people want to pay people to yeah. just go into it and they don't know how. So, I mean you you mentioned like grants and things like that. Yeah. Did you, uh, as somebody who 
you know, from a business point of view, did you start applying for grants like right near the beginning, or did you do any of the "I'm just paying for this out of my pocket" thing for a while? Well, it was pretty soon before yeah. before we like went. Oh well, like the first we did Billy Weathergloom at the. Oh, it seems like so many so <laughs> so long ago. So Billy Weathergloom was a summer work show. That was the first thing I wrote. It was the first thing I produced. Mm-hmm. It was a big hit. I said, as I think everybody does when they have a big hit in a festival, is, oh, I can do this on my own. <laughs> I can do this on my own. And I crunched the numbers in my head. And, oh, I can do this if I just had, no, oh, I could do this. Um, and so I mounted it out of pocket mm-hmm. and made the money back, but it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was, uh, and then, and then... Uh, we were ready to do a show called Grendel Mouse, which we had a modest amount of grants for. But uh, I ended up, I got cast in The Lion King, which postponed Grendel Mouse for a year. But in order to still have something to do, I wrote Sideshow the Damned for Summer Works. And, mm-hmm. and then, because I'm slow to learn, hey, let's put it on our own. <laughs> and then we put it on as an equity co op, and everybody busted their ass and made $260. And it yeah. was just like, Okay, well, we don't do that anymore because that's not. You can't working. You can't work with this caliber of artist and then say, "Sorry, yeah. sorry, enjoy your groceries today." Yeah, no, right. So I, I think it's, I think it's immoral to, mm-hmm. to, to write a show with a cast of twelve and know that you're not going to be able to pay them at least, at least sort of. Like I'm yeah. not even right. Like it's yeah. not even like. I'm paying, like at least kind of try to pay them what mm-hmm. they'd make doing something, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you can't, let them take home the TV you used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, otherwise, I just think you're kind of it's not it's not fair. Well, it's hard because I mean, uh, it's that whole you know you do it for the exposure, but you can't like buy groceries with your exposure. Well, and what you like, like, you know, we're old. Yeah, after a certain. We're point. old. You can do it for your exposure when you're 20 and it's American Buffalo, but like, yeah, don't, like, don't, don't. I, we, I have kids. I have yeah. a mortgage. Yeah. I, I need new shoes. <laughs> right? Like, it's gotta, you've gotta, you've gotta figure out a way to do it that the people you're hiring can be properly paid. Yeah. And if that's not a, that's probably not. A f- giant full cast mm-hmm. production of the Oristia. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's okay to do that if everybody knows the not the score. Them, but yeah. but I would much rather figure out. Okay, if we're only going to get thirty people a night, mm-hmm. and I want to work with you and you and you and you and you, how can we? What can we make where mm-hmm. at thirty people a night and whatever modest money we can raise, mm-hmm. can everybody at least pay? for their lives yeah. for the month we're working here. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that should just be, that should just be where you start as a producer. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, <laughs> don't worry everybody, if we sell out, we'll all make 1050. Like yeah, it's not, see. <laughs> don't do yeah. that show. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that show or, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's hard it's hard to be that 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 person. It's hard to be like the person who's like trying to do a thing, but then you have to also have to figure out that you got to pay people what they're worth. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know what I shouldn't say. Don't do that show because there's like, I don't want to. That's not the kind of thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to at least. I don't want to be embarrassed when yeah. I when I write the check. Yeah, I I might be. You know, it's never what I want to be paying people, mm-hmm. but I I I don't want to. I don't want to be the guy going, yeah, but you got to, you might get a Dora nomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, the, that statue's too ugly to really, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've never taken one home. Although, I, I believe, uh, I have been told that I have the most individual nominations without ever having won in the history of the award. <clears throat> Interesting. The biggest loser in the history of the Doris. <laughs> well, yeah. That's you know what. On that note, let's, let's, <laughs> stop, let's, stop, let's stop with that. Let's stop there. But um, 
do you have a plan yet for what you're going to be doing uh, since you're you know, you're now the the Halloween tradition. Okay, so the Halloween tradition. So we're we're still figuring out. There's still negotiations are happening for this Halloween. We'll probably remount the harrowing of Brimstone McCready for at least a short run. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working on a thing called Space Opera Zero, which mm-hmm. I mentioned. Yeah. There is a new Doc Weathergloom play called The King in Yellow Pants that's in the works. And there's also, um, uh, at the really baby stages, this is, you're the first person to find out about this. Not even everybody in the team knows this. <laughs> but at the really beginning stages, there's, a, there's an idea I have uh, to, to adapt H.G. Uh, Wells' The War of the Worlds uh, as it would be presented by a uh, street soap pitchman in the 1890s okay so those are all the those are all the things i think that's kind of everything we're we're tossing around right now but you never know sometimes i wake up and i'm like oh no it's this and then it's written and then that's what we do (laughs) well then it's like once you once you're committed to it and you start printing stuff you gotta you gotta go with that yeah 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 that's true once it's on once it's (laughs) yeah rue morgue magazine one april wrote this awesome article in house at poe corner and then it didn't get its grants and we're like oh but we have to it says in this magazine and five people read the magazine and we have to do the so hard yeah well we did it we did it we did it and everybody kind of got paid everybody got paid Right? I've, I've done lots of things where nobody got paid. So yeah. kind of getting paid is also... Yeah, well, everybody got paid, and everybody got paid a reasonable, a re- not a, you know, not exorbitant, but everybody could, everybody got to live for the two weeks we did House of Poe Corner. That's great. That's, yeah. that's good. I, I'd like to thank you for, for coming. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you.